turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that could save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. You know, Charles Winters thought he could breathe a sigh of relief after the gift of a lifetime, a kidney transplant. It saved his life. But after his fight for life, he found himself fighting for his limb. Doctors hadn't told him that chronic kidney disease or CKD patients are at increased risk for peripheral artery disease, blocked arteries, and mainly the leg arteries, which restrict blood flow. And also the steps that could be taken, such as with diet and exercise, to possibly prevent it. So after he recovered from a kidney transplant and had just started getting his life back in order, he found himself back in the hospital fighting to avoid amputation. And he is going to be joining us in just a few moments to share his incredible journey, not only fighting for limb, but fighting for life. Dr. Phillips, this is going to be an amazing Save My Piggies broadcast. Ah, yes, I'm super excited. I read a little bit about Charles and his his struggles, uh, trials, tribulations. I know that uh, he's focused and he's trying to do what he can. And he's got a great partner sitting next to him. So I'm really excited to hear their story. I mean, you know, Save My Piggies is about the patient. It allows the patient to have a voice. You are a fantastic advocate for patients. Uh, but I think the Save My Piggies allows them to just kind of tell their story and then we can learn from them. Because I learn all the time when we interact with patients and they tell me things that I don't necessarily think about their experience in, in the whole on the highway of medicine, as it as it were. And so I'm really excited about it. And uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having this this episode. I'm 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 really, really pumped. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, let's kick things off with a moment of inspiration. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Yeah, so today is Eleanor Roosevelt's birthday, and she's had, she has a lot of cool quotes, uh, good quotes, inspirational quotes. This quote's about leadership because um, I think doing what you do, you have to be a leader and you have to inspire people. And so I like this quote and I, I just found it because I'll have to tell you what I was doing before, before I recorded this because I needed some leadership. But anyway, so Eleanor Roosevelt, born today, October 11th, she said, good leaders inspire people to have confidence in their leader. Great leaders inspire people to have confidence in themselves. 
Yeah. And I love yeah. that because you have to have confidence in yourself. And I also read this. Uh, I, I don't know who did this as a psychologist or something, but the you can change a person's mental attitude. One, you know, one person at a time can change that. And if you said something to let's say you're struggling and someone says, you know what, Kim, you got this. You can do this. That little that's four or five words that you said can really stimulate you to to achieve the task. And that's what being a great leader is. So well, I, I love it. <clears throat> It's so amazing that you say that because one of the things I always say to the PAD, peripheral artery disease warriors, as we call them, or PAD warriors, is I'm only the facilitator for your desires. You're the one with the desires. You're the one who reached out. You had the courage to reach out. And so I can only literally help execute on on what you want. What do you desire? I see you in your wellness as long as you see you in your wellness. What do you want out of this? And what are you willing to do to get there? And I just help them to to reach those desires, which usually is a a longer, healthier, pain-free life with their two legs intact, hopefully. Yeah, and I think that people need we all need inspiration and we all need to be told we can do it and even in the darkest hour if there's someone by your side that can help motivate you uh, that'll that'll get you that that will get you through that dark hour but it'll uh, you know the sun the sun always rises um and you know it's just one of those things where we all need people to help us and to support us no matter who you are and, you know, that's where, it, you know, Charles Winters and his wife, Pamela, um, Pamela had reached out to me. And, you know, it's interesting because I didn't ultimately have anything to do with the decisions that, you know, in terms of I didn't facilitate an introduction ultimately to the doctor that saved his leg in this case. But I was with Pamela at a certain point in this journey. Right, Pamela? I- and you were the one that truly were the inspiration and really kind of that fight in there. And I was just listening and, and helping to affirm or, or help just listen, I think to, to what was going on and just to support you. Well, let me just say, you gave me the option to keep going, like to not give up, you know, to keep fighting for him. And so that's what I did. I followed your lead. Yeah. Just giving you hope. That's literally all I could do at that point. And you were the one, you were the boots on the ground. You both were the boots on the ground and actually making that happen. And so, um, again, just the facilitator of the desire that you guys have, right? Right. <laughs> so let's start from the very beginning um, of your journey. It's so amazing to see you both here today and to see you got two legs there, my friend, Charles. Yeah. It's been <laughs> such a long battle. I want to go back, I think, John, what do you think to the beginning? Because I'm curious about, you know, that moment where you were feeling great and then the next moment you weren't. Can you bring us back to that time? What were you doing before? And then what what happened? What stopped? Um, well, I was a, a, a baker at Brookshire's um, Grocery Company for um, about 19 years. Um, and I got sick in 2013 and um, lost all kidney function. Um, I knew I had the disease, but the doctor that I had, Dr. Noble, was awesome. 
And she kept me off of dialysis for probably four or five years just by medicine and uh, diet alone. Um, so uh, I went through nine years of hemodialysis, the last three years uh, being at home, which was the best decision I could have ever made because I was getting tired in clinic and just having those moments of wanting to give up and being at home with my kids and wife doing it. Um, it was, it gave me like more, more energy to, to, to keep on doing it. So um, the kidney transplant actually happened last year in November. So I'm coming up on my first kidney anniversary and um, well, in between that, just, just having problems um, before the transplant, um, I had a cardiologist that Pam actually went to with um, my diagnosis and he confirmed the diagnosis that it was PAD. The reason why um, I was having pain when walking and standing and I also had a wound that wouldn't heal. So when she went to him with that, he actually tested and confirmed what, uh, what Pam had found out. Coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we're going to continue with Charles Winter's story along with his wife, Pamela, in just a moment. So stay with us right here on The Heart of Innovation and our Save My Piggies special. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Save My Piggies, your life, your limb, your story. With host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Another Save My Piggies episode, and we are so pleased to have Charles and Pamela on the show. Charles, you kind of before we went to the first break, you shared your story with us, kidney failure. You're coming up on your first year having that miracle uh, transplant. And I have to ask, where did, did, did a family member give you the kidney, or did, did you find a, a, a donor? It was actually a deceased donor, and um, I know we're on time, but what actually happened was my niece last year, um, and she's in California, she actually 
from my social media, got in touch with Baylor and they had gotten her tested and back and forth with them. And they found out that she was not a match. And um, on a phone call with her, um, she was telling me that I'm not a match and uh, that she wasn't a match. And on the other end of the line was Baylor calling me to come in for a kidney. Wow. That's awesome. Nice. Yes. Yes. He got the call while he was on the phone with our niece. Yeah. yeah. But this and was, this wasn't, you weren't sure though with that phone call, if you were actually going to get that kidney. Right, because no. he was actually the second in line to receive that kidney. But, you know, we had to pack up and go forward as if he was. Because yes. we had to be there because Baylor is like three hours away from us. So the good Lord was smiling on you that day, huh? Yes. Yeah, so, bring us back to that whole yeah. experience, being at the hospital and going in. What was going through your mind? I mean, all you can do in those moments, right, is have faith and have hope. Yeah. All right. But um, going through it before here in Shreveport and getting the IV and getting ready to go to surgery and then being told no. Um, we kind of had prepared. We kind of prepared ourselves a little oh, bit. So, so you'd been told no already once before. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's got to be oh pretty good. Oh, my goodness. That's going into the hospital. You have to get the IV in. And in that case, were you first in line for that one or were you second in line? And then the first one just happened to work out. I was no, first he in was line. first in line and for uh, other medical reasons that he had. Um, and if we're all being transparent, his weight was the reason why um, he was unable to go forth with that transplant. We had a goal and I was six pounds over what they wanted. And it was a day that I didn't dialyze. So he had extra so, fluid so on I, his That body. was just fluid. If I would have dialyzed, I would have been well under because I always take off three to four liters. So, and it was kind of the way the doctor told me that um, he was going to go meet with the committee. This was at six o'clock in the morning. He came back a few minutes late, later and said the committee decided not to go forward. Well, so Charles, and, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, for our listeners and actually for my knowledge, because I'm a, I'm a plumber basically, not a kidney specialist, but like you said, you were first in line or second in line, like explain that to us. How does, how does one get kind of positioned or go up the pecking order for availability of organs in this instant a kidney well the 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 transplant list is compiled by how many years that you were on dialysis or you've been on dialysis of course uh certain things matter when the kidney comes up it has to be the right um blood type and antibodies and things like that so the the order kind of gets skewed at times um but the longer you're on dialysis the higher you are on the transplant list and it just so happens i was and i know we have mm-hmm. 
We have Terry Litchfield. She is with Dialysis Access Solutions. She is the president. She's also a patient advocate for people with CKD. And I wanted to have her weigh in with any other knowledge she might have on, um, you know, the whole process of getting on the wait list and then ultimately being selected. Terry? Yeah, it's it's a really tough. Um, these lists are long. So the average wait for a kidney is now about four years in the U.S. And so it's it's very uh, competitive. If you get your weight or things um, will put you down on the list. Um, and then when it comes in, you it it really is because minutes matter. You want to get both of those kidneys from a deceased donor into the proper um, proper people. Now, there used to be. Um, a lot more questions asked and, and the transplant, the way we manage the transplant list and the whole way the U S handles transplants is actually in the process of being big changes so that some of the things that other patients have may experienced um, won't be as prevalent. In the so Terry, two, two questions for you. Number one, like what if I needed a kidney and my brother wanted to give it to me? I'm assuming that would that's that would yeah that's a living related and that okay. gets um, that gets expedited and then I'm going to ask about maybe and I'm naive here but maybe the dirty side of things or the you know the underbelly of it what if I have a lot of money and I wanted to you know expedite my position on the list do people do that um, you can in the old days you could. But now these lists are managed, are not managed by the transplant centers. They're national right, lists. Right. And so you have a number and it, it, it's, it's a codified number. So you, you can't slip a, a cajillionaire in. Um, so you're telling me like Warren Buffett, if he needs a kidney, he's waiting like the rest of us. He yes. should be. Okay. Yes. Well, except that he'd probably go overseas and find a location that <laughs> yes. he could potentially yes. buy his right. way in. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So I, sure I was people with, would be willing to sell their kidney to Warren Buffett. Right. So I was with the WHO in Asia. I was based oh. out of Singapore. And it was quite common for patients that didn't qualify. Most countries don't give everybody dialysis. Right. And if you were, if you were over 55 in Singapore, you weren't going to get dialysis. And so you would go to, um, depending on your um, ethnic background, if you were um, an, of Indian descent, you would go to India and buy. And if not, you, if you were Chinese, you would go to China and buy. Hmm. So there's a market for organs. Wow, but Charles, you were lucky. Within um, how what amount of time, or what was the time frame between the first and the and the second for you? Um, it was about three years. Three years. See, that's incredible, and and probably a lot of pain and suffering along the way. Yes. Um, I just one day. Um, I just had a notion to try to go to a different um transplant center. And the closest would be either New Orleans, which was five hours, or Baylor, which was three hours. So I filled out the application, got worked up there. Um, I was, I made the list like a week later after getting all the tests done. And it was probably six months waiting on Baylor's list. And they called me for the backup kidney. So you get right here on the heart of innovation. We're going to 
get into the story about what it was like for him. They got the call. They got in the car for this second opportunity. And then what happened? Stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life Life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Save my piggies uh, segment here uh, episode. Um, so, Charles, before we went to break. I kind of derailed things a little bit because I was curious about the whole process, and I think our listeners are. But now, hey, you got the call. You're rolling in. You're number two, and then you get bumped to number one, and it's it's go time. The shuttle's launching. What is going through your mind? And tell us about that day. Um, well, on that call, like they told me that I had to come in like I was the number one patient. So we would get there early at 6 o'clock, and they would work me up with the blood test and make sure everything was uh, still the same as when I got worked up before. And uh, basically they took like 10 minutes to do that blood work. And then they was like, well, um, go to the mall, go to the movie, anything, get your mind off of it. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call you if uh, it's a goal with you. Um, well, of course, we couldn't do that, get our mind off of it. So actually what we did was go downstairs to the lobby of Baylor. And from, uh, I think we ate breakfast. So from like eight o'clock to five o'clock that evening, we were just there talking about how we were going to handle the disappointment of not, not getting it. Because as the time went on, we was pretty much sure that we weren't going to get it. Well, they had a Starbucks, so I was calm. <laughs> but so they, so I'm curious. Like they let you eat. So the assumption is because you have to be uh, NPO, nothing for I'm assuming at least eight hours. So there was a they what? So they knew they were getting a kidney in at some point in that day, but it wasn't yes. going to be until that evening or whatever. Yeah. So they told you go ahead. Yeah, they actually uh, did give some information that it was a deceased donor. And that wherever he was, he was on life support 
and they expect it to, um, I don't know what they call it, but pull the plug around one o'clock that day. Mm -hmm. Um, So one o'clock came, two o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, the valet closes. And I tell Pam, well, let's get the car and just ride around till they tell us no and we can get back on the highway. Well, she got the car um, around 4.50 or so, and we are driving out of the loop to get out of the hospital, and they call. And I was like, well, Pam, this is it. They're finna tell us, you know, we we don't get it. So we've already got our mind made up. We're going to go home. And um, she says, Mr. Winters, and I say yes. And she says, I got good news. And now I can't tell you the rest of what she said because we were hollering and praising. And by the time we calmed down, she was telling us to go across the street, go to the 14th floor. They'll be waiting for you there. And um, with that excitement, I'm excited to get there. But in the back of my mind, like this, this is not going to go, you know, just preparing myself for disappointment. And they get me there and they get me hooked up. And I've been in this place before, so I know it ain't a go till it's a go. Right. Um, the surgeon came in and everybody came in and I was like, it, it's not going to it's not going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> uh, they came and said, we're, we're ready to go downstairs. And it was like a mad rush then, like they were moving. Mm-hmm. getting stuff unplugged and getting ready me, for me to go to surgery and coming down the hallway in the bed to go downstairs, getting prepped for the surgery. All of the team that was on the 14th floor were there with signs and horns and, and horns on both, sides, on of both the sides of the hallway. And they're saying, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. And, Oh my God, you're going to make me cry. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it broke me. I got, I, it broke I, got, me. I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. They made it an uh, unforgettable experience from beginning to end for us. Yes, they did. And I just want to interject real quick that um, the transplant team in Shreveport, where we live, and going to Baylor is like, a different world. Night and day. It's night and day. Um, we're, we're the the city that we live in is a whole lot smaller. But being at Baylor and the way they treated us and that that parade they put on, I mean, I couldn't be happier going into surgery than 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 that. And I'm I'm glad we didn't know that they were going to do that to video right. it because now it's like embedded in our mind, right. like. We won't forget that, yeah. you know. So, so Charles, I'm going to put you on the spot. And, you know, I want you to answer this as honestly as you can. So tonight, the Powerball ticket is like $1.8 billion. Okay. Right. Yeah. They're drawing that sucker. Yeah. So right. let me, let me, I'm going to pose this question to you. In one hand, I've got the winning numbers. Okay. And in the other hand, I've got a kidney. Wow. What would you take knowing oh, what wow. you know? I'm I'm definitely taking the kidney. Hands down. Hands down. No, not doesn't even have to think about it. Yeah. How yeah. about the billion dollars if you were Warren Buffett and you'd buy the kidney? <laughs> um, well, well, I I don't I don't know if I would 
I would do that. Take that chance. Because the, the health system, other places, yeah. you know, you just don't know. Right. It's you don't you. know what you don't know. So you could you could wake up dead in a foreign country. Right. So, no, I, I, I would I would definitely take the kidney. Hands down. Yeah. That's awesome. No, no different. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I, I, love I, could, that. Have, I could have a CKD and not wake up in the morning. And yeah. where where does that billion dollars get me? Right. Yeah, yeah. I would take so, the kidney. It's not always money. It's not always right. money. Right. That's no. awesome. No, no. And that's that's probably, you know, it speaks volumes for your character. And it's also probably one of the reasons why you were just celebrated so much, um, you know, by the team over there. And everyone was just excited about it as as you were. And and Pamela, I'm curious, from your perspective, what was really going through your mind? It must have been (laughs) an emotional roller coaster and and lots of prayers along the way. But now that you had faith. And and I'm glad you said that. It truly, they say it takes a village to raise a child, but it truly takes a village to back a family um, with someone that has chronic kidney disease and the caregiver. Being a caregiver, um, I've literally had to lean on because at times I had nothing but faith because we were three hours away from our church family, our regular family, immediate family, all of that. So I had nothing but God to lean on. So it has really strengthened how my. How do you balance? How do you balance being a, a wife and a and a partner in life and a caregiver? Because I I know that that can be a struggle from both ends. And I see Charles shaking his head. That must be a struggle when she has to actually say, "No, you need to do this." And right. I'm not telling you as your wife. I'm telling you because I, I not only as I love you, but I'm telling you as your caregiver, you got to do this. Right, 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 right. And I, in first to answer the first part of your question, not my strength. It has never been my strength. But that, that, creates, that, that probably creates a strain on the relationship. Cause no. You, no. no. We've had ups and downs, um, but through it all, we, <laughs> Charles we, like, no. we, we stuck it out. We, she, we, we, she's always, she's always right. And I just, <laughs> I, I want, I want to win. So I have to put up a good argument, but in the end, I know she's going to win. Um, so it, it really it really wasn't a strain. You you will learn something about us. We're more like brothers and sisters instead of husband and wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so you get the kidney, you're you got the lottery ticket, right? You you got the kidney. Okay. So you wake mm-hmm. up, you I'm assuming you're on some immunosuppressant, you're on a lot of new meds that maybe you weren't taking. But you probably figured, okay, I beat the disease right. that is bringing me in, and and then and then in our first segment, you started having some symptoms of peripheral arterial disease, and you must be thinking, what the heck? Like, really? I'm going to get two things now. So right. we're coming up on a break here in a little bit, but I, I think we should start that story. Kim, what kind of what kind of time we got here? Yep, I think that that's a great time to go to break because you've opened an entire can of worms, and right. so I want to make sure we can dive in. That's next, right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Medical Notepad, brought to you by Abbott and the Way to My Heart. This week. Dr. Thomas Chu, interventional cardiologist, is talking about blood clots. 
do I have a blood clot? What uh, kind of things should I worry about? Uh, I think the signs and symptoms of a blood clot in the leg are somewhat nonspecific. And uh, the good news is the testing is pretty straightforward to, uh, to, to make the diagnosis. If you have swelling in one leg and not the other, that's oftentimes a sign. If you have cramping pain, uh, you know, in the hip or behind the knee, uh, along with swelling, that certainly could be a sign. And certainly, you know, kind of a, a, an abrupt discoloration of your leg. I've seen uh, patients who they just look down and their leg turned purple. Uh, yeah, that is uh, something where, uh, uh, you know, seeking uh, medical advice and, and uh, uh, diagnosis could be very useful. Uh, the test for a DVT, a blood clot in the leg, is oftentimes an ultrasound, which is a non-invasive, no-risk kind of procedure, so uh, can be very useful. Uh, blood clot in the lung is more serious and more urgent. You know, that oftentimes will show itself through trouble breathing. Uh, people sometimes say they almost passed out or they feel very dizzy. They get sick all of a sudden and then notice their heart is beating fast and they can't breathe. If you can't finish a sentence without panting or getting out of breath and that happened all of a sudden, uh, that, that certainly could be a blood clot. To diagnose that in the emergency room, it's really um, a CAT scan is the modern way to do that. Uh, it's a special kind of CT scan. It's called a CT angiogram of the chest. Uh, you probably don't need to know that by name. The physicians taking care of you can do a history and physical, do some simple blood tests and kind of make a decision. Do you need a, a CT scan to diagnose blood clots or not? With this week's medical notepad, that was Dr. Thomas Tu, interventional cardiologist. Remember, the advice and views offered in this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always talk to your own healthcare team before acting on any advice or information offered here. If you do want more information about blood clots, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our Save My Piggies episode in conversation with Charles and Pamela. So, Charles, we're finally getting into the PAD portion of, of, the, of the show. And tell us a little bit about your symptoms and kind of how the workup was started and ultimately, you know, what has transpired over the last, what, year and a half or so? Okay. Um, Well, I was having trouble walking, um, standing. It hurt. Um, And I actually got a couple of sores on my foot that just wouldn't heal. And Pam, through her Dr. Google, um, uh, kind of uh, knew that it was PAD, but she went to my cardiologist with my symptoms and everything. And he was like, man, it sure sounds like it. So um, got an ultrasound and all that. And sure enough, it was. And he did some um, angios to uh, keep the blood flowing to, to my feet. Um, but that sore, while I was getting the kidney, that sore and having the immunosuppressant um, medications, it kind of exacer- exacerbated that yeah. sore. Kind of sped it up. It sped it up like a whole lot. Yeah. And we were in Dallas at the time that I was supposed to go back to my cardiologist to have more angioplasty to get more blood to try to heal that wound. Well, it didn't happen. And we were still staying in Dallas because we had to stay in Dallas three months um, away from the kids and everybody. 
um, for the kidney checkups. So they sent me over to a podiatrist and it had gotten so bad, it was no other choice but to amputate it. But before they amputated, they sh- they had to make flow, make sure it was enough blood flow to it. Mm-hmm. So I saw a, a vascular surgeon there, Dr. Ike, and he got uh, enough blood flow to where they were confident that that wound would heal. And um, it did. It did. We ended up um, coming back to Shreveport and reuniting with the family. But I had a callus that wouldn't heal kind of like on the bottom of my foot. Well, um, since we had a lot of doctors at Baylor, we, uh, we went back to Baylor and they were like, um, it's so bad that the, the one artery that we have uh, going to the foot, it's, it's almost clogged or clogged. And the only other choice we have to do is a cryo vein, which is, uh, it's, uh, harvested vein uh, that they connect one part of to another part of the leg to kind of bypass bypass it. Yeah. Yes. Um, So they did that and uh, it was working fine, left, um, continued to heal, still had staples in. And uh, one night uh, or one morning I told Pam, something's wrong with my leg. Like it feels kind of wet. And she looked at it and it was bleeding. Pulled back the covers and he was bleeding out. Yes. Yes. So I immediately, um, my oldest daughter, I called her, told her to grab me some towels, grab some big towels. While, while holding pressure down on it, I called 911. With God's help, I dialed 911 with the other hand and told them the situation. And fast forward, we were taken to a local hospital here, but eventually they sent us back to Baylor because they didn't want to have anything to do with it, really. Basically, they didn't want to touch it because they didn't perform the surgery. Yes. So we ended up back at Baylor. Back at Baylor. Um, they tell us, you know, the bleeding has stopped. We're going to watch you overnight because this was a Friday and um, we'll check on you Monday. Well, that night, the bleeding happened again and it was profuse and um pam took pictures of it because the doctor wasn't in there and the nurses couldn't describe it so when the doctor came back in he said it's probably just the hematoma that was finishing bleeding and you know we'll look at it monday and yeah, pam was i like, showed no. him the pictures i'm like this is not well, this is at the incision the incision of the yes, bypass? the incision, yes. Well, mind mm-hmm. you, the incision goes from his knee all the way down to the top part of his foot, ankle, ankle. on the inside of oh. his leg. So yes. that's yes. a pretty long incision. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so when she showed the doctors those pictures, pictures he was like, look like we're going to have to call in a surgical staff and we're going to have to do surgery uh, on a Saturday. And they did find out it was infected. So they took the vein out, washed it out, and kind of uh, stitched me back up. And uh, now you lost your bypass. Yeah, I lost my bypass. Yes. The doctors always told me that that was my last. That was his last Hail Mary. So he said, if that failed, then the only other option we had was amputation at that point. Yes. So uh, through Saturday, Sunday, uh, Monday, I didn't have blood flow to my leg 
And that Monday, the doctor came back in and saw us and he explained, you know, what he told us the last time. And he was like, um, the sooner the better that we get this amputation, that he was scheduling the OR for that Tuesday. And uh, that was so that. We're, we're talking an amputation below the knee? Above the above knee. knee. Above the knee. So what's going through your mind? Like, were you saying hell no? Or are you saying um, no? I, I resigned myself to I'm going to have to um, he take, was take care of my kids. He with, was preparing for an amputation. While I'm over there praying and remembered my guardian angel, Kim, and was like, well, let me just text Kim and see what her opinion is on all of this. Well, so. How did you know about this said guardian angel? Well, because we are part of the uh, PAD Facebook page. And I had been following Kim. Like, I'm like, eventually I'm going to need this lady because I'm going to have questions. I knew I was going to have questions that needed answers. Yeah. So while I'm, I'm on Amazon looking at um, ways to modify the truck so I can drive with one leg because it's my right leg. Um, she's over there. Talking, talking to my cardiologist, talking to him, yeah. talking to God. And uh, through all those people, um, I they ended up finding a doctor in Homa, Louisiana, mm -hmm. which was, since we were in mm -hmm. Dallas, it was about five or six hours away. And um, plus three. Yeah, plus three. Um, so they was like that, that ride with um, my leg leg open probably wasn't the best option so um at that at, at a conference our cardiologist remembered somebody who was in dallas at another hospital um that was doing some um experimental work to get fda approved for this new procedure for pad vein arterialization dva where right. they hijack a vein in in what the the calf and they they actually reroute blood flow through the right. veins into right. the foot. Well, Kim, what you don't know, and that we later found out, he was not a candidate for that procedure. So Dr. Sia actually performed a regular angioplasty. Oh, did he really? Yes. Yeah, I, I was curious. I was curious about that because the, yes. the, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 He he was able to get blood flow back, and since then he's gotten blood flow blood flow back for all three of his main orders. Yes. When did oh when God. did this happen? Yeah, uh, it happened September the first. So last um, month. Yes. Um, just going back to that callus that wouldn't heal. Right. We had home health coming out and wound care taking care of it, and somehow it just. It just went downhill and uh, had to go back to Dallas. And Dr. Sia looked at it and he was like, I don't like the way this looks. I'm going to let a podiatrist look at it. The podiatrist said, I don't like the way this looks. Um, debrided it a little bit and it was down to the bone. And he said, when we see this, this is almost always an infection and we're going to have to amputate. And before we amputate, we have to make sure that we have enough blood flow to, to get this to heal. Well, Dr. Sia, what you don't know about him, he's very frank. And <laughs> uh, when we saw him, 
uh, after the surgery, the uh, first intervention that he did after the cryovane, um, when he told us he did a regular angioplast, um, he came in and he said uh, a few words and he was like, we're married now. Yeah. We're together, me and you. And I'm not saying that this is the only thing we're going to ever have to do because I believe we're going to have to have tune-ups like every three months or six months or whatever. He's like, I'm not comfortable releasing you to your local doctors. I want to see you. So um, he was called to get the blood flow back to my foot to heal the the soon-to-be amputated pinky toe. And he went in there and apparently he just tried and tried and he got like all of the blood flow back. So I'm healing with three arteries opened in my foot. It's healing well. Um, I'm in a walking boot, can put pressure on it. Um, He said I can drive. Um, The key word, he's walking. I'm I'm walking, exactly. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to hear his final thoughts and where... He is at and what is next for him now that he's walking. He has a you know great legs going on and a great kidney. So we're gonna find out his his goals and what's next for Charles and his wife Pamela. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Save my piggies here. Uh, Final thoughts. We got four minutes left, Charles. So take us through this. You were staring down uh, above-the-knee amputation, which is catastrophic in the sense of your ability to ambulate. Uh, talk about financial strains, uh, strain on the relation, you know, because the, the missus here is going to have to help out big time. Now you've lost one one piggy, is that right? I've lost two. Two. The third okay. and the pinky, yeah, that I'm so going you've to got, you, You've got eight, right? I've, right. I got eight. Uh, and you are, now. you go from one end of the uh, emotional spectrum to the other, I imagine, in, yes. in a short period of time. What's yes. that like? Um, well, it, it's given me back hope that um, I'm going to be able to do the, the things that I've always wanted to do, be like a whole human for my young children, because they only know daddy as a dialysis patient and heart train. I mean, a cabbage patient and now a kidney transplant patient and an amputee patient. So I'm hoping to get back that part of life that I want to do the the simple stuff that I can just get up and go and we can play catch and be on vacation without the hassles of, you know, going through something medically. I mean, this is something that's so fresh. I mean, this you're literally just now taking that deep breath. Have it has it really settled in? No, no, it's an emotional roller coaster, um, ups and downs. It's always ups and downs. Like now, when we go to a doctor's appointment, I cringe because I'm wondering, did I should I have packed a bag? Because we never know when they're going to say, okay, we're going to need to keep you overnight. So when I say emotional roller coaster, it's been an emotional roller coaster for us. Yeah, but you you must have to have some like a lot of mental fortitude, the both of you 
because I throughout the program, you've always you prepared for the worst. You hope for the best, but you were always preparing for the worst. But at some point, you know, it takes as much energy to prepare for the worst as yeah. it does to prepare for the best, right? So right. you have to, you know, release yourself from that orbit of preparing for the worst and kind of gravitate towards, hey, let's what the heck, right? I mean, we, right. we got the key, we got the leg. We're gonna win the lottery tonight. I mean, what more do we need, right? Right. Yeah. I'm trying to get him to go on vacation now, and he won't go. <laughs> you got, hey, tell you what, doctor's orders. I'll write you a script, and your wife's a doctor. <laughs> Google, so you got it. We're we're waiting till I can put both shoes on, and then right. we're out of here. Right. We're out of here. Good. Kim yesterday gave me a gave me a call that gave me a lot of hope. Because throughout this whole medical process, I've been wanting to help other people going through similar situations because I wish I had someone out there that was saying not, you know, just keep going, keep going, but actually know what I'm going through and the emotions that I'm having that they're okay. Like you can have a day to rest. You can have a day not to be strong, but just keep on breathing and keep on living and you you're going to make it through that situation long as you don't give up you only lose when you give up and also from a caregiver standpoint i've things that i've seen it kind of has been pulling at my heart also like how many people don't have a pam you know to speak up for them or how many people don't have a family member that's sitting by their side that's probably probably being laid by the wayside and just left behind. And there really are avenues out there. Like I'm an avid reader. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. John, but I love Dr. Google, but I read everything and um, I kind of absorb. And if I can help anybody, I'm willing to tell my story, his story, anyone that's willing to listen. Yes. That's what, that's what Save My Piggies is about. So you summed it up right there. It is absolutely fantastic. And I love your shirt you have on, Charles. It says undefeated, and you definitely are. Uh, uh, Right down here, it says never lost. (laughs) And we're talking about God. Never lost. That's right. Never lost. lost. Always found. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.